You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Uh, it looks like you have a very dull, boring shirt on right now. Yeah, that's right. We can see through your headphones. And uh, we have a solution for you for this holiday season. A little snowflake and reindeer solution for your holiday shirt needs. <laughs> and that is one of our ugly Christmas sweater t-shirts. Say that eight times because there are at least eight designs that are now available on Amazon. And yeah, that's who we're using this year, Amazon. If you go to electioncollege.com slash Christmas, you will see our beautiful designs. We think that your friends and family will get a great kick out of your new t-shirt. And they'll also know how much you love history. And that's what everybody wants everybody else to know during this time of celebration is that is that you love history so head on over to electioncollege.com slash christmas and uh you know you'll see some stuff you like and happy ho 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 election college episode 238 william seward let's throw a political party face it the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. So Ben, here's a guy who we would probably have a bunch of statues all over our country and revere him as a big changer in U.S. politics and U.S. history. And we don't. We know about Seward's Folly. We probably know very little else <laughs> about William Seward. And turns out this guy probably was one of the best known abolitionist senators slash politicians in the mid 1800s. Yeah, just I mean, other than knowing about him in school from, you know, the uh, assassination attempt that, you know, was combined with Lincoln's assassination attempt and all that kind of stuff. Other than that, I don't really know that I ever heard much about him until we started doing this podcast. And uh, that's pretty terrible considering how much of an influence uh, he had, but we won't spoil that. Let's go ahead and get into it. Yeah, so shame on us. But on a cool i'm sure it was cool maybe it was balmy uh, may day in 1801 
in Florida, New York, which for you New Yorkers, that's in Orange County. He was born the third son of Samuel Seward and Mary Seward. And something you may or may not know about Samuel Seward was he was rich and he owned slaves. And this was totally legal in New York because slave was not fully abolished until 1827. But anyway, um, yeah, Florida was about 60 miles north of New York, and it was a pretty rural village, maybe, I don't know, 12 houses or so. And William Seward attended school there, and he was brought up in New York. Probably never went to the Big Apple. I don't know. Yeah. But- <laughs> It's uh, it's funny because he was a really good student. Uh, they always said he enjoyed his studies. And, you know, a, a lot of times kids run away from school or they want to run away from home. Uh, they, you know, they said about William Seward that he would actually run away from home to go to school just because he liked reading. He liked studies, all that kind of stuff. And uh, when he was about 15 years old, uh, they called him by his name of Henry. And not just when he was 15 years old, but they called him Henry and about age 15. Uh, he ended up going to Union College in Schenectady. And there he got admitted right away to the sophomore class. He was a great student. Uh, he got elected to different honor societies and stuff like that. And uh, Samuel, his dad, is like, you know what? You know what makes a, a young man learn how to fend for himself if he doesn't have a lot of cash? And uh, that's probably true to a lot of respects. But whenever he was in his last year of school there at Union, they got in kind of a big spat about that and, uh, you know, all about money and how money, you know, we all know how arguments about money go, especially am- amongst family. So it's uh, it's a bit of a tough thing for them. And so Seward goes, you know, he goes back to school then and ends up leaving a while later and takes a ship down to Georgia because why not? Yeah, that's where the, jo- the devil went, right? That's right. Some people will get that. Others may not. But uh, if you live in Georgia, you've probably heard the song. Anyway, so Alva Wilson, his buddy, and he hop on a ship. And Wilson is like, see you later, dude. (laughs) Because (laughs) he takes a job at another school. And Seward's like, what? (laughs) And they, um, they being Seward on the boat, uh, continue on down to Georgia. And he shows up to Eatonton and the academy there, the trustees of the academy were like, uh, we thought Wilson was going to come and be our guy. Uh, Seward, you seem to be intelligent enough, so we'll take you. So Seward's like, okay, great. I got a job. I'm here in the South. I'm sure the weather is nice and warm. Uh, why not? And People really treated him like he was an adult and he didn't have this reputation of, you know, the rich guy's son. So why not? He was treated great. And while there, he noticed that others were not being treated great. And that was the African-Americans. They were enslaved and they were, uh, well, it was just a horrible situation that he saw. So by the time June of 1820 rolls around, There he goes. He's got his degree. He graduates with honors and he spends time studying law and he passes the bar exam in 1822 
And he's like, I really don't care for Goshen. I don't care for this part of New York. I'm going to move west. So he goes out west to western New York, that is, and joins the law practice of retired Judge Elijah Miller, who has a daughter named Frances, uh, who is a classmate of his sister, Emma. And things happen, right? Two years later, Seward, Francis, they marry. And after they marry, they head up to Niagara Falls because that's what you do when you're from Western New York, right? You go to Niagara Falls for your honeymoon. Um, this may not may or may not have been their honeymoon, <laughs> but I, I think it was. Um, one of the wheels on his carriage was damaged and somebody comes to their aid and that was local newspaper publisher Thurlow Weed. And Weed is going to play a part in Seward's life, really. These two guys are going to have a very entwined history um, for the remainder of Seward's days. So once they get to Auburn, Seward starts involving himself in different politics and political parties and stuff like that. And uh, we know this is the time where, you know, the parties were evolving. Everything was kind of changing and parties were coming and going just as quickly. And it was an interesting time of determining, you know, where each party stood. And so during that time in New York state, you have these two different factions and one is kind of led by, or at least he's the kind of headmaster of the party martin van buren and then the other party is just the people who oppose him or you know these aren't really parties but they're <laughs> you know they're factions of parties and van buren's kind of friends and buddies they were known as the albany regency and seward is like you know what i like this group i think it's pretty good oh wait a couple years later it's corrupt and I hate it. And now I'm part of the anti-Masonic party. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we all know how long the anti-Masonic party lasted, hopefully from our past episodes. But if you don't, not very long. But during the time it was around, it became known kind of as an anti-Jackson party. Uh, we don't like Andy Jack. We don't like his policies. We don't like the fact that he was elected president. So therefore, we're going to create our own little anti-party <laughs> for him. A little while later, DeWitklin, who was the governor of New York, which we've talked about him uh, quite a bit in the past as well, he's like, hey, Seward, I think you should be, uh, you know, in, a, in a kind of an appointed office. I'm going to nominate you and see what's going on. But because Seward was not a fan of Andy Jack, the state Senate did not confirm him. They didn't want him to be there in the office. So uh, Seward making speeches and supporting President Adams and stuff like that was not really in his best interest politically, at least, uh, but it was what he felt was right. So it's fascinating because in 1831, when he is a state senator and he's starting to really get involved in the state politics on a, in a big way, bigly, bigly way, Ben, yeah. bigly, uh, he meets Aaron Burr. Go figure. Was it? And uh, he also meets our buddy John Q. Adams. Like, he knew Quincy. Totally crazy. Because, I mean, let's face it, the legacy of these guys span eras. Don't oh, they? yeah. Absolutely. Eras, 
so during all of this time, uh, his he's kind of writing on the coattails of the fact that his buddy Weed is a newspaper man who moves to Albany and has some influence because, you know, what you want to have is influence because of a newspaper. And he ends up running for governor and loses, runs for governor and loses. But by the time 1839 rolls around, I should say 1838, he wins and he's the governor of New York. It's a pretty big deal, especially for a Whig, because let's face it, the Democrats have kind of had a hold on New York and everywhere. And when you are the governor of New York, you're kind of a big deal. Like within the state of New York, you're a bigger deal than the president of the United States. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, as far as the country is concerned as well, New York is a pretty substantial piece. And, you know, there's a lot of wealthy people there as well. So you definitely want to have control of New York if you're going to be anybody. Yeah. So during his time as governor, he was seen as pretty much a radical progressive. I mean, he was all about trying to get religious liberty uh, granted for um, a variety of people. Uh, so for instance, if you are attending a New York City public school, that school is going to be run by Protestants and you're going to use the King James Bible, which is very much a Protestant thing. If you're Catholic during this era, you are not going to like that at all. Well, guess what? If you're Catholic, pretty much the establishment isn't going to be a very big fan of you. Well, Seward was there to really try to break down barriers. And he was saying, listen, these immigrants, they don't know how to read the King James Bible and they don't share a lot of the things that we take for granted. And we maybe could learn some things from immigrants and establishment was like, no, we don't like that. So (laughs) um, he had some difficulty there changing minds, but um, it is interesting to see that the run-ins with Marty, you know, Van Buren, they continued. And and it all comes to a head in 1840 when Seward and Van Buren were both up for re-election in their respective offices. And Seward's like, you know what? I'm not going to the convention. Yeah. So he actually sends weed out on his behalf. And uh, it turns out that, you know, Seward didn't get the nomination and ends up going to William Henry Harrison, a name we all know and love, or at least know. I don't don't know if we all love him or not. (laughs) Some do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, you know, there's people who are all about Henry Clay. They're all irritated. And, you know, there's people who are all about Winfield Scott who were irritated. And it's all you know, kind of a mess and people in politics tend to hold grudges. So you can pretty much assume that since Seward didn't go, he ended up sending weed on his behalf. People are still going to hold Seward responsible for a couple different things. However, they did go ahead and nominate him for a second term uh, against William Brock, the Democrat. And Seward's like, yeah, I'm going to do the you know honorable thing. I'm not going to campaign and stuff like that. But he and Weed end up running a whole bunch of different campaign type stuff. They, um, you know, really run a lot of stuff in newspapers and everything like that to make their views known. And uh, 
Seward is all about this idea of the log cabin. And the log cabin becomes a, a theme that we see kind of, you know, bringing out the common man and uh, making everybody seem kind of relatable because, hey, log cabin, that's down to earth. And maybe Abraham Lincoln might benefit from this someday. Who knows? I'm sure that wasn't his mind at the time. And uh, uh, both Harrison and Seward get elected. And uh, this is the last time that Seward gets is even in an election. Um, it's a little bit of a spoiler there for you, but it's uh, it's interesting because he goes on to serve in the public eye for another three decades or so, but he's never again on a ballot. Yeah. So take that trivia fact and keep it in your pipe. Don't smoke it yet. <laughs> so one thing you need to know about our buddy, William Seward, is that his wife and his father-in-law were like, you know what, dude, you need to kind of chill out from politics. And they mm-hmm. said it just like that. They were hip. They were hip with the lingo. They're like, there's no money because you can't keep up because you got to keep up the appearances. You know, man, that was a good show. Keeping up appearances. Did you ever watch that? No, I don't think so. No. English show, Mrs. Bouquet. No, it's not bucket. Okay. Well, anyway, so <laughs> um, you got to keep up appearances. You got to look like you've you know got some cash. You've got to be using the visa card, right? Well, he runs up a lot of debt. So when he leaves office as governor, he owes 200,000 bucks, which is a substantial amount of cash. And his wife and his father-in-law are like, okay, now you can go earn some money. And that's what he does. He goes up to Albany, becomes a lawyer, and is very much supportive of the rights of all people including African-Americans. And he goes and presents a couple of defenses that are using this new tactic. And that tactic is he was insane and uh, or he was mentally ill and he was perhaps abused in prison. And there's a reason why he committed a crime. So this happened, happened uh, with a... Um, a white man, and it also happened with an African-American. In two separate cases, he defends these guys who were mentally ill. And Seward wins. And he's considered to be like this genius because he gets these guys off of the penalty for the crimes that they had committed. So 1848 rolls around, and here we have Henry Clay coming along, and we have Winfield Scott, we have Zachary Taylor, and Seward supports Zachary Taylor, the general. And, uh, you know, he isn't terribly enthusiastic about the other two, and slavery isn't really an issue in this campaign, or at least the parties didn't make it much of an issue. It's always an issue in these campaigns, but... During this time, the state legislature actually elects the U.S. senators until, of course, we had the 17th Amendment in 1913. We've got an episode about that somewhere. Check it out. Google it. Yeah. Do something like that. And Seward decides that he's going to go for the seat of the senator. When people got together in 1849, everybody's like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's probably one of the favorites, but 
some people are like, he is a little too extreme on slavery. Uh, we know he believes something, but we really don't want to, uh, to you know, he's, he's too strong on it. And they're also a little worried that he's not going to support Taylor as the president-elect and soon to be president because Taylor is a slaveholder. And so he goes to take the Senate seat. He's trying to get the votes. He ends up really getting elected pretty easily in a landslide, I guess you could say. Uh, and remember, we said he wasn't on a ballot in the future. This was you know, by the state legislatures that, that elected him or selected him. Uh, but he ends up winning with about five times the amount of vote as the closest other candidate. So he becomes a senator on March 5th, 1849. And this is during a, a special session that was called to confirm President Taylor's nominees for his cabinet. And Seward is kind of, you know, he's seen as having a bit of an influence over President Taylor. And all because he is kind of friends with Zachary Taylor's brother. Yeah. So if there's anyone who is upset over the death of Zachary Taylor, there's a lot that can be said about this era, right? This really fast era where Taylor was president. But if there's anyone who is like, yeah, I'm really upset that Zachary Taylor passes away. William Seward. He is because guess what? For as much as he gets along and wields some influence in a Taylor presidency, when Millard Fillmore becomes president, and you know, Millard Fillmore, he's from New York. These New Yorkers, they just don't get along with each other. So William Seward becomes a lot less influential because Millard Fillmore does not share a lot of the same views as our buddy. So the Compromise of 1850 rolls around, and of course, Seward is opposed to any elements of that Compromise of 1850 that are pro-slavery. And uh, really, he goes and makes a bunch of speeches about it, and he becomes kind of the leading abolitionist advocate in the Senate. And President Taylor is sympathetic of the North, and uh, like Jason mentioned, he does die in 1850, brings in Fillmore, and... Again, Seward loses his uh, his kind ear to to speak into. So this doesn't really do a whole lot of good for the abolitionist movement. And it really divides the Whig Party up. And that includes Seward. He's a you know, he's a northerner. He's a bit a bit more liberal. And it makes it hard to get behind this particular individual for the presidency because there are so many people running with so many very different ideas on how slavery should work or not work and everything like that. So the Whigs only win about four states in that election. And of course, Seward is relegated to the back of the room. So William Seward, he is there in the Senate, and in 1857, President Buchanan says, hey, Kansas, you should be a slave state because, well, we need to keep things pretty even, right? And we remember Stephen Douglas. He's an advocate for the continuation of slavery. Why not? He says. And 
Seward is like, no, no way. You can't do this. And the whole Dred Scott decision, that's wrong. We shouldn't have that. And all the while, Seward is still gaining friends and influencing people, both North and South. And it seems as though he will run for president in 1860. So he's positioning himself at this more moderate sort of manner instead of being a radical. But by the time 1859 rolls around and it's time to run for president, his political supporters are like, dude, you've said too much already. Um, Why don't you take a trip? So Seward says, okay, I'm going to hop on a boat. And that's exactly what he does. He goes to London and he has audience with Queen Victoria. And can you imagine what it was like during that time? Like how much communication actually, like did Queen Victoria know that, okay, uh, William (laughs) Seward, he's pretty influential and he's all about abolition and stuff. But he takes this uh, tour of Europe and the Middle East and he's kind of out of the fray. But all the while, there was hope that he would become the Republican presidential nominee in 1860. Whether or not being out of the country helped him or not, he goes into the convention. Well, actually, he doesn't go to the convention, but his ideas go to the convention, uh, really with our buddy Weed. You remember him? Yeah. He's springing up everywhere. He goes to the Republican National Convention in Chicago. Uh, and it looks like Seward's going to, he's got the deal, right? And as a matter of fact, on the first ballot, he gets 173 and a half votes, while Abraham Lincoln gets 102 votes. They needed 233 votes to win the nomination. So they keep on voting. That's what you do, right? And the good people or the good delegates of Pennsylvania say, you know what? We're going to move our vote from Seward to Lincoln. And that really hurts Seward's chances. So he goes in thinking everything's going to go his way. Pennsylvania shifts. And then another vote comes around in Ohio decides to take four of their votes for uh, Salmon Chase and give them to Lincoln, which was a pretty big stinking deal because Chase was from Ohio. And this really seals the deal for Lincoln. So Lincoln, the underdog, becomes the man all the while because his buddy Weed works against him at the convention. So go figure. So just like any good podcast, we're going to leave you hanging because you don't know who's going to win the election of 1860. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm sure you've never heard anything about the election of 1860, especially from this podcast. And therefore, uh, we'll talk about it later in the next episode. What we want to remind you of right now is, like we said at the beginning of the show, head on over to electioncollege.com slash Christmas, and you can check out our ugly Christmas sweater t-shirts with all your favorite presidents and historical figures and first ladies and stuff like that on them. Okay. Maybe not all of them yet, but we've got a good selection going so far. And uh, we think you would look great at your holiday party 
in one of our ugly Christmas sweater t-shirts. Yeah, and if you don't like some of the designs that we have on there, go buy some of the ones you don't like so Amazon will increase our limit because that's the deal. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll be glad to take your suggestions on an ongoing basis. And the way you can let us know is by interacting with us on social media. Yeah, that's right. We are on social media, believe it or not, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter because, well, we have to be on Twitter still. And we are at Election College. If you haven't left us a review, what's wrong with you? It's, you know, it's the holiday season. Everybody deserves a little something nice. And we want you to have that nice feeling in your heart that you left a couple of good good old cousins a review on iTunes. So head over to iTunes, even if you don't listen to us on there, and give us a nice five-star review with a little, uh, a little written review underneath as well. Yeah, and a little-known fact is when we do the happy dance, we wear bells during the holiday season. Go figure. True. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next time.